Okay, so start out like we started out every other one. Let's review our two catechism questions for this section. Starting with question 12, what is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. Okay, so we've already discussed a lot of those phrases and clauses. We're focusing on question 13 right now. Question 13 reads, how did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. Okay, so, God created man. Last week, we started off with this one saying that God created man, and God created man, male and female, and everything that that means, and how men and women are to live together, especially as, as husband and wife. We took a deep dive into that, and then we touched on the transgender movement a little bit, <clears throat> talked about how God has created everyone, male and female, distinctly male and female, and there's no crossover. And to, next week, we'll go into knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and then conclude the week after that with how God created us with dominion over the creatures. But today, we're going to focus on the second phrase here, after his own image. So God created man after his own image. And I think I mentioned it last week. To me, if I were writing this, not to, to second guess the wonderful forefathers who wrote the Baptist Catechism, but I probably would have put God created man after his own image. It's the first part of the phrase. Um, because that's, that's a really, really big thing. Um, created male and female is also big. But after his own image is really the foundational aspect of what it is to, to be human. To be created in God's image. So we moved on from... Creation in general to question, in question 12 to creation of man specifically in question 13. And like I said, now we come to what I think is, is probably the most significant concept in the doctrine of man. Like I said, I would have, would have placed this probably before male and female in this catechism because this really defines what it means to be human, is that humans are made in the image of God. This is really the thing that separates us from the rest of the created order is that we bear the image of God himself. Right? God did not merely create us like he created everything else. He did so, but he created us different than everything else. And the fact that we are created in God's image is what gives us our status as the highest of the created order that we were created in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and that we have dominion over the creatures, follows from that we are created in God's image. And we, he created us according to his own likeness. And once again, the image of God, that we are created in the image of God, is the very thing that makes us human beings. Okay. So, very important. So first of all, let's look at scriptural support for this doctrine. We'll go to a couple of passages of Scripture. First of all, we're going to go to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. So I'll read this, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Remember, this is kind of the conclusion of the creation narrative almost. And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, 
and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this goes on. If you continue down into verse 31, when it says that God saw everything that he has made, and behold, it was very good. He was waiting to declare everything to be very good until he creates man. Everything before this is good, it's good, it's good, it's good. God created it good. But the very good comes after God creates man. God has created man to display his own likeness in creation, and now creation is very good. Okay. So this is pretty obvious here that God has created man in his own image. We'll go to a couple other verses here. But before we do that, um, in verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we in the Reformed world, as opposed to both the Roman Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, the Lutherans, and Arminian groups, we don't make a distinction between the words image and likeness. We see those as um, interchangeable terms throughout the rest of Scripture. Um, they're used pretty interchangeably. And so we don't make a distinction between that. The, the Roman Catholics, the Eastern, pretty much every other group does make a distinction between image and likeness. Um, for various other reasons, but we use those terms interchangeably in the reform world. So I um, just wanted to state that out there at the beginning. Um, I'm not going to get into the reasons why we view those specifically. Um, we could talk about that later if y'all, if y'all would like to. But we're going to use image and likeness interchangeably in the reform world. Okay, so other scriptural support. Somebody can go to Genesis 5 and somebody can go to Genesis 9. Genesis 5, Genesis 9, and someone else can go to Psalm 8. So Genesis 5, verse 1, if someone wants to read that. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. There we go. So you know Genesis is, is really concerned in a lot of places with genealogy. Right? A lot of the Bible is, and Chronicles, and the beginning of some of the Gospels, that we're concerned with a lot of genealogy and establishing the line of man. And the first thing that it does here in Genesis chapter 5, when we're, we're told Adam's descendants on to Noah, the first thing that we want to make clear, that God wants to make clear in communicating this, is that when he created man, he made man in the likeness of God, also the image of God. All right, So that's first and foremost here in the genealogy. And then over in Genesis 9... Verse 6, if someone wants to read that. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. All right, there we go. This is after the flood. This is after they come out of the ark and God is establishing the Noahic covenant where he, one, promises to never flood the earth again in a catastrophic way like he has done during the, the worldwide flood. So he sets his rainbow in the sky. And he also says that there should be punishment for murder. We'll talk about that in just a minute more, but as, while we're here, it says that this is the reason why murder is such an egregious sin and why it must be punished in such a way is because whenever you take the life of a man, you are creating an offense against the image of God himself. So man is made in God's image, therefore murder is such a heinous, heinous act. All right. Other passages, Psalm 8. So this does not directly say that man was created in the image of God, but Psalm 8 is going to celebrate the fact 
that man is created in the image of God. So if someone wants to read all of Psalm 8, go ahead. I'll take that one since uh, it'd be better for the recording anyway. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So the operative phrase for us, at least in this, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor given him dominion over the work of your hands. That all is pointing back to God creating man in his image, God creating man in his likeness, and the psalm goes on to celebrate that. Okay. So those were a couple of passages of Old Testament support for this and the creation narrative and the, the things that follow that closely by. And then again in the psalms when David praises the fact that God has created man in his image. And then over in the New Testament, there's a a few verses of New Testament support for this too. Uh, Luke hints at it in his genealogy of Jesus whenever, remember Luke starts off his genealogy with, this is Jesus Christ, he's the son of Joseph, who is the son of Hela, son of X, son of X, son of X, and then all so on down, inducting on, on, on and on and on. And then we reach to the end of Luke's genealogy, and he says, the son of Adam who is the son of God. So when he's pointing to Adam as the son of God, he's pointing to Adam being made in the likeness of God, Adam being made distinct from the rest of the creatures in that he is made directly from God himself, and God has endowed him with his likeness and his image. Okay, so Luke points at that, indicating Adam being made directly by God in his own image. <laughs> Paul also goes on in Acts 17 and Paul, remember in Acts 17, he's, he's in Athens and he's arguing or he's, he's lecturing the people of Athens and the Areopagus. And he comes in and he quotes one of their own poets, one of their own pagan poets of Athens. And he says, even you guys, even your own poets recognize that we are God's offspring. So obviously Paul is agreeing with the poet here when he says, look, even you guys, you guys know this. You guys know it in your own writings. But we know it, too, in a more true way that we are God's offspring or in another sense that we are made in the image of God. So Paul is saying it there. He's hinting, hints at it there. So Luke hints at it in his genealogy. Paul hints at it in Acts 17. But then there's also some direct evidence, some direct quotes from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, if someone wants to go there, and then James 3. But that's not Paul, that's James, obviously. But if someone wants to go to 1 Corinthians 11 and someone else wants to take James 3, we'll read those two verses together. So 1 Corinthians eleven seven.
head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. There you go. So Paul is, it's a bit of a digression in this passage because Paul is talking about how how people should act in church and he's talking about head coverings and he said it's, it's shameful for man to cover his head because the reason why he is made in the image of God and the glory of God, he is made in the image and glory of God. So it's a bit of a parenthetical there, but it's pretty explicit what Paul's saying here, that man is made in the image of God. So there's support there directly from Paul on his writings. And then again in James, James chapter 3, if someone will read verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. There we go. James is talking about the tongue here and how difficult it is to tame and how we need to be in control of our tongues. And in it, the reason why we need to be in control of our tongues is because we're so quick to bless God, but we're so quick to curse our brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God. So we're being hypocrites whenever we do this. But whenever James is talking about this, he makes it clear that the reason why this, again, is a a sin to curse people is because they are made in the image of God. And so it's pretty, pretty clear there that both Paul and James and even Luke and his genealogy agree that we are indeed all made in the image of God. So I would imagine pretty much everyone that was walking in here today already agreed with this, but now we've got some, some firm support, and if you were on the fence about it, I hope you're not anymore. It's pretty clear from Scripture that man is made in the image of God and in his likeness. All right. So then, now that we've got that, the fact established that we are made in the image of God, what are some implications for this doctrine? So we've got a few things, what, some things that are going to follow from this doctrine here. One of them is that although we are not infallible, and although that man in his original state was not infallible, man was created in a state of original righteousness, okay? He was created in a state of complete knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, which we will talk about more next week. But these elements were lost by sin. We know this. The, the fall ruined all of that, and original righteousness did not get passed to Adam's offspring because original sin gets passed to Adam's offspring. But Adam himself was created in a state of positive holiness, being created in the image of God. It's okay? one of the implications Second implications. Second implication is that other elements that belong to man's nature did get passed from Adam. So these other things that got passed from Adam to his offspring are intellectual power, intellectual power that is not seen amongst any of the other beasts or any beasts at all. Intellectual power, affections. We experience affections and emotions much differently than the rest of nature do, does. Relational ability, that is something that got passed from Adam to his offspring, the ability to relate to each other in in social and family ways and other relational ways. Language, language got passed from Adam down down to his offspring, and specifically language or in the, the ability to communicate in a way that the animals cannot. So some animals have some ability to communicate, but not the way that humans do, and not the way that humans are able to cooperate through their language. So that's something that was, it's part of the image of God. The other things, the two big ones are rationality. So human beings are rational in a way that animals are not rational. This is a big part of what got passed from the image of God 
through Adam to us, rational creatures. And then lastly, not least, is morality. Humans are created as moral creatures, and even the worst of all sinners and the most wicked of people do possess, in some sense, some sort of morality. Right? They don't. They're not left with any sort of excuse not being able to know God and know His created order and know what He requires of us morally, because we all have some sense of imbued and endowed morality that is passed through Adam and us being made in his image and in the image of God. So those were the things, again, that got passed from Adam, the elements that belongs to man's nature itself. Intellectual power, affections and emotions, relational ability, language, rationality, and morality. And all these things are really, they're part of the natural constitution of man. And losing these would cause man to cease from being man, right? This is going to make some sort of ontological change. If you lose any of these things, it's going to cause man to cease from being man. So this is part of the definition of man is that man possesses all of those things. Man did not lose these things by sin. Now they were marred in some ways. They're no more perfect in the way that Adam possessed them before the fall, but we did not lose these things. So, and the fact that we did not lose these things meant that man did not completely lose the image of God after the fall. He still possesses the image of God. And once again, this is what makes the crime of murder so heinous, murder so heinous, is that you are, whenever you murder another man, is that you are uh, directly offending the image of God himself. So, this is why murder must be punished in such a dramatic way. It's because murder is such a heinous sin and an offense against the image of God. Right? So that was the, the second implication. The third implication is that it's the one of spirituality, the possession of a soul. So this is, this is also really big. Right? So being created in the image of God, man now possesses a soul, something that nothing else in the created order possesses. This is part of what gives us dominion over the creatures also is that we possess a soul. Nothing else possesses a soul. When God breathed into man's nostrils, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that's what it says, God breathed into man's nostrils. And you'll notice whenever it says that, that's not said of, of any other creature that God breathed into its nostrils. So obviously other creatures breathe like we do, but God did not directly breathe into their nostrils. And this is indicated in Scripture to show that God has imparted his spirit into man's body. Right? So a lot of times you see that description of the Holy Spirit, something that is breathed out by God, right? it proceeds from God in that way. When God breathes into man, that's showing us that God has put a soul into man, that God has put a spirit into man. And he's, he's put that into man's body itself. And so you see that as the body then being an instrument that is fit for the soul and an instrument that is part of the spirit And that instrument is created in God's image too. The body in some way is also created in God's image. and Because in the end, we're going to have resurrected bodies, and these resurrected bodies are going to perfectly reflect the image of God. So they're not going to be imperfect bodies anymore, but they're going to be perfect bodies that perfectly reflect the image of God. And then because man is a spiritual being, he has longings that can only be satisfied by worshiping something, right? No matter what you think, no matter what atheists think, everyone is going to worship something. And that is because man is a spiritual being, that because man possesses a soul. 
And we know that our worship can only be true and our worship can only be fulfilling whenever you worship the one true God. So we were made to be worshipful beings because we were created in the image of God and we possess souls and we're spiritual beings. That was a third implication. Fourth implication is that man possesses immortality. It's not immortal. We're not immortal in the same sense that God has immortality. Immortality is an essential quality of God. That is something that makes him God. Man's immortality is a is a derivation from God. It's a derivative from God. God has given man immortality as an endowment. It comes from the creator. That's where our immortality comes from. And if you think about this, Adam was not in his original condition subject to death. He was not subject to death even of his body. Right? Now we, our bodies, even though we'll be resurrected in some sense, are mortal right now, but our souls are not. Our souls are immortal and this is the part that got passed from Adam to us, is that we have immortal souls still, and our souls are going to live forever. Our souls are going to live forever either in joy, if you have placed your faith in Christ and repented of your sins, or if you have not, your soul will live forever in torment, active against God's wrath. Okay. So we have those. And the last one, short, because we'll cover this later on, the last implication from this doctrine is that man has dominion over the earth. And why does he have dominion over the earth? Because well, it's given from God, but it's given by God to have dominion over the earth because we were made in the likeness of God, because we were made in the image of God. And because man is the only part of the creation that bears the image of God, that is why we are allowed to have dominion over the creatures, which we'll cover again in two weeks. So those were five. There might be more implications, but those are ones that I was able to think of through my research and, and pulling other sources and things like that. So the implications of man being made in the image of God is that although not infallible, man was created in a state of original righteousness. We have other elements that belong to man's nature that got passed to us from Adam through the image of God. Is that an intellectual power, affections and emotions, relational ability, language, rationality, and morality. Third is that we are spiritual creatures. We possess souls. Fourth is that we have immortality, specifically through our souls. And then fifth is that we have dominion over the earth. All of those are implications for man having the image of God. All right, and then all this synthesizes into what is the original condition of man. And this is a long quote, but stay with me because it's worth it. This is from Burkhoff. It says, man was created in a state of relative perfection, a state of righteousness and holiness. This does not mean that he had already reached the highest state of excellence of which he was susceptible. It is generally assumed that he was destined to reach a higher degree of perfection in the way of obedience. He was something like a child, perfect in parts, but not yet in degree. His condition was a preliminary and temporary one, which could lead on to greater perfection and glory or terminate in a fall. He was by nature endowed with that original righteousness, which is the crowning glory of the image of God. And consequently, he lived in a state of positive holiness. That loss of that righteousness meant the loss of something that belonged to the very nature of man in its ideal state. Man could lose it, and he could still remain man, but he could not lose it and remain man in the ideal sense of the word. In other words, its loss would really mean a deterioration and an impairment of the human nature. 
So in the fall, we lost something. We lost something that belonged to man in its ideal state. But when we lost it, we didn't cease from being man anyway, all right? Because we still have the image of God. So we were created. Adam, our federal head, was created in a way that he was able to lose that positive holiness and the righteousness. And when he lost it, he did not change into something else. He was still a man, but he was not the ideal man. Yeah. The man's created in a state of positive holiness and righteousness. But once again, we lost that. We, as a collective humanity, lost that when our federal head, Adam, through his sin in the fall, brought in what Burkhoff calls, and I like this, a deterioration and an impairment of human nature. So human nature is no longer exactly what it was made to be. We no longer have the potential to reach the state that we were created to be, at least not in ourselves. Right? We no longer have the potential to reach that state that we were created to be in, not at least in ourselves. But there's some good news here. You know this. We have good news that we have another head, right? And so in Hebrews 1, I'll read this. Hebrews 1, if I can get there. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, this says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Here we go. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. So that beautiful phrase right there, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So here... The image of God is reflected perfectly in Christ. And he was, through his obedience and through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, was able to hang on to that. Right? He didn't lose it like Adam had. This is what we are reaching towards as humans, is to be more like Christ, the exact imprint of the image of God. Right? That's how we get back to our original state as human beings. We have to be united to the new archetype, the second Adam, our elder brother, the perfect, holy, righteous son of God, Jesus Christ. That is the only way to fulfill exactly who we are supposed to be as humans, is to be united to Jesus. That's how you take the imperfect image that we all still bear. Every one of you are still made in the image of God, but you're imperfect. You no longer exactly how you're supposed to be as humans. But being united to Christ, you're transformed into the perfect image and that is because he was perfect. Paul gives us some blessed hope and exhortation. Hope and exhortation in two really great passages. One in Ephesians 4. So in Ephesians 4, Paul says in verses 20 through 24, he says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So Paul is pointing us there, right? Put off the old self, repent of your sins, get rid of that imperfect image and be like who you were made to be, made in the image and likeness of God and in true righteousness and true holiness, right? And this is the truth that is possessed through Jesus, Okay, so that's hope. It's an exhortation also. And Paul says very similar thing in Colossians 3. So in Colossians 3, verses 9 through 11, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There, here there is not Jew nor Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is in all, and it is, is all and in all. So there we go. Put off the old self, that distorted image, that imperfect image, and put on the new self, which is continually being renewed, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we cannot reach our full potential as humans without Christ, But at the same time, we're striving to recover our image, to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You see that throughout Scripture too. Be conformed by the renewing of your mind to His likeness. And we were told to forsake the old man and put on the new man, and then glory in the fact that you are made in the image of God Almighty. And you're made through Christ. Human beings were originally made to be anyway. All right. So...